That's why we're here today, to worship and serve our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, the great God of the universe. Take, let's uh, join together as we sing. We sing, Would You Bless Our Homes and Children. Let's stand as we sing. Shall we bow together? Father, as we come here into your house of worship, there's so much for which to be grateful. We thank you, Lord, for life and for breath and for your image which has been stamped upon us and the privilege we have of coming to know you as Lord and Savior and be in a relationship with you here on earth and have so much to look forward to in this world and the next. Father, I also thank you for these six precious lives standing before us, newborn, whom you have beautifully created and knitted together so perfectly and, and bless these families, these homes, and this church family. Help us cherish life. Help us love babies. And help us do all we can to protect them and nurture them and teach them in the way everlasting. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It's one of those Sundays in the year we get to celebrate by our parent-child dedication service. Actually, it's a parent-child church dedication because you're taking part in it too. You have a role in the covenant we are about to pledge. We do so in our church because we believe that Jesus was taken to the temple and dedicated as a child in Luke 2. 
We want to take this opportunity to thank God for the creation and birth of these gifts from him. And then with a promise by the parents and by the church, relying on God's grace, that we will do all that we can to come alongside these precious families and help them in teaching their children about Jesus. And that one day they might come to know him personally as their own Lord and Savior. And then we want to ask God to bless these families, these homes, and these children. Remember how Jesus took a child in his lap and blessed it. Hear these words of scripture from Deuteronomy 6, one of the the pinnacles of the Jewish faith in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently when you you, uh, sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And from the New Testament, Jesus took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not only me, but him who sent me. So now we get to meet these children and welcome them into our church family. Oh my goodness. He's so tall. This is Sonia and Clayton Burns, and this is West Air Burns. West, I know how much you were wanted and loved and how how thrilled and and blessed your parents are, and we welcome you into the world and into our church family. Oh, 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 there we go. West, it's okay, it's okay, there. This is Van and Vonda Finn, and this is Andrew Doss Finn, and his name is Andy. And little Andy is the gift of adoption. And we're going to be talking about that wonderful choice that, that so many families can make and what a wonderful pro-life option it is because so many families want children. Isn't he precious? Andrew and we welcome him into our church family. Congratulations. Here we go. This is Derek and Amy Greist and Miley Ann Greist. And Miley is so excited to be here in the sanctuary. And I was coming in with her and I said, Miley, I wish everybody was excited as you coming into the sanctuary. Hey. And we welcome you. Hello. Hey, Miley. A beautiful little girl, and we welcome her into our church family and and Derek and Amy as they raise you to love Jesus. You see Mama? Okay. (laughs) And Daddy. It's a beautiful girl. Congratulations. 
Scott and Danielle Tubbs, and this is Sullivan Ronald Tubbs. Sullivan. Hey, Sullivan. How are you? Sullivan Tubbs. Scott and Danielle. Don't you know what, wonder what's going on in their minds? But it says Jesus loved children. He took them in his lap and blessed them and held them. And the disciples wanted to hurry him along. And he said, no. Unless you receive the kingdom as one such child, you will never receive me. And so we love you and we welcome you. Sullivan Ronald. Congratulations. There we go. And this is John and Brittany White, and this is Jackson Reed White. Hey, Jackson. Hey, there's Mama. I'm going to keep her right here. Okay, okay. I'm going to stay right there. Here's Mama. We're going to hold him together. Jackson Reed White. Jackson? Give, give him the cell phone. He liked that. <laughs> there we go. But we welcome Jackson into our church family too and John and Brittany and celebrate with you. Hey, we love you. There's your mama. And Jared and Kristen York and this is Madison Elizabeth. Madison. Hey, Madison. We want to introduce you to the church and, and we will love you and we want to tell you all about Jesus and help, help your parents as they raise you to love and serve him. Hey. But we're so happy that you're here. It's a puzzle. I don't know what they're... Oh. Congratulations, a beautiful girl. I hate to give them back. There's a responsive reading in your bulletin. We need to take this seriously. Because as our desire not to just dedicate these children and then, and then, and then have no, no contact or no impact with them, but we are committing ourselves to help them raise these wonderful gifts. Do you parents acknowledge that the gift of life is something only God can give and that it is truly one of the greatest gifts of all? Do you recognize the awesome responsibility that comes with that gift, the responsibility of raising your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you hereby commit yourselves to being the kind of parents that God intends and that your children will require so that they will grow to know Jesus as their friend and will learn of his love for them and one day might profess their own faith in him and follow him as Lord and Savior. If you, the church family, realize and accept your responsibility in helping to raise these children and provide the kind of environment that will point them to Christ and show them his love, will you please join me in standing? Do you likewise commit yourselves to seek to fulfill this awesome and wonderful responsibility? Shall we pray? Father, we see your handiwork and we marvel. We see the heavens the stars, every created being in the world, and we know how awesome and powerful you are. And then the crowning pinnacle of your creation, these children before us, we see your image on them. 
We see the breath of life which you have breathed your spirit into them. And we know that you have a special plan for them. Plans to prosper them and give them a future. We ask that you would build a hedge of protection around their families, Lord. That you would keep their, their mothers and fathers deeply in love and committed. And that they would find the way to raise these gifts in a Christian home. That they would come to know and love and serve you. And might one day profess their faith in you as Lord and Savior. And celebrate what you're doing in our midst. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And we thank you for these children. Bless them with long and happy lives. And surround them with those who will love them. And nurture them in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Is that you, Lord? 
What a blessing. Um, it's an awesome, awesome song. Thank you, Beth and Suzanne. We just want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. We're so excited that you're uh, here today to worship with us. And we know we have some visitors with parent-child dedication. And so we're so excited that you're here also. And um, it's been a, just a, a blessing to be a part of parent-child dedication and serve there and see families commit themselves so we're just glad that you're here to worship with us and we're just going to ask if everyone just would fill out that bulletin for us um put any prayer requests or needs and just place it in the offering plate for us and if you're a visitor just be sure and put some contact information uh, for us so that we can uh, get with you and uh, give you some information about First Baptist and how to be a part of this body of believers. We're just going to ask um, that everyone stand and greet one another and just look for the visitors around you.
Y'all know that song, don't you, boys and girls? You weren't singing it very well. Will you help me sing it one time? Jesus loves me, this I know. Sing loud. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. All right. Thank you, boys and girls. Thank you. Oh, look. It's like we suddenly had a happy club choir. And y'all sang for the congregation, so thank you for singing. I think Parks Colwell has that happy club bag. Let's see. It's a, is it a book? Or it might be a picture. Is it a Bible? What, let's see. It's a book. What kind is it? The night before Christmas. Are we still celebrating Christmas? Why did you bring this book? Before your nanny passed away, she recorded it for you. Is it on here? What do you do? For the night before Christmas, from all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long run out. Oh, they turned the page. I'm going to stop it right there, Parks. But that's your nana. That's Miss Brownlee, isn't it? Reading Twas the Night Before Christmas. And I know you, you cherish this book because she passed away right before Christmas, and she read this, and now you have her voice to remember her by. Boys and girls, I'm going to talk about how precious life is today. Did y'all see the babies lined up in front? Do you remember when you were that age? No. No? You remember a little bit? What do you remember being little? Do you remember, uh, you remember anything about being a baby? What do you remember? You remember sucking your thumb. Okay. <laughs> That's good. We all have certain memories, but I just want you all to know, boys and girls, that, that God gives life. And then like Miss Brownlee, when he took her home to heaven, when that time comes, he has a plan for us. And we have to cherish life. And we love life. And we love babies. And I know, Parks, this book means so much to you because you hear your Nana's voice. But we also know that she's with, with God. Oops. She's with God in heaven, and uh, it, it helps us to know that he loves us and that he's going to take care of us and be with us. And we can remember those who have meant, who've meant so much to us in this world. And we want, to, we want to cherish every life, just like Parks and his family cherishes his nanas, and he'll love and miss her for a long, long time. So let's thank God for life and, and ask him to help us live it well to give him glory. You bow with me and let's pray. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you 
for giving us life. Help us live it for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Parks, that's such a tender gift. Thank you for sharing that and your love for your, your Nana. Miss Sabina, it's a girl's turn, isn't it? Where's Drew? Will you take the bag home and bring back something special next week, Drew? And if you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina. Thank you. Worship, worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory. God our Father, His Son Jesus Christ. Let's sing together, worthy of worship as we stand.
Let us join our hearts in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the sanctity of life. As we see this tower of um, baby bottles standing here, oh God, help us to remember that life is so precious that you created us in the beginning and everything was perfect and there was the fall and there was Satan. But then you brought us Jesus that healed all things. Help us to be strong every day in the sanctity of life. Help us to stand up as Christians and help us to know that if we have received you as our Savior, that we will join you in heaven, and heaven will be like it was in the beginning in such a beautiful place. My gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many blessings you've given this church and to the many families here. It might be a widow's might that we might give, but it comes from our heart or any what we have. We thank you for that. It is precious in your sight. We thank you for the wisdom that you've given our leaders and our committee chairmen that our coffers were full at the end of the year and they were blessed and they were running over. And what we gave to missions was more than what was asked. We thank you for these things, oh God. I pray for Wayne today as Brother Wayne as he brings our matches in the sanctity of life that will touch our hearts. And I pray for all our services in our church today that if there's any heart that doesn't know you, that you will touch their heart and all will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you and forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
What a beautiful song, so worshipful, and ties in exactly what I'm saying this morning, because the God of heaven loves us, created us, and stamped his image upon us. I'm always cognizant of the fact that when I preach on the sanctity of life, that there are women in our congregation and watching by television who've had abortions and men who may have agreed to it and grandparents who may have demanded it. And so I realize that this can be a painful message, but it does not have to be a hopeless one. There is great physical and emotional suffering because of abortion, but there is also hope. No one is cut off from Christ and the fellowship of his people because of any past sin. Any past sin. What cuts the off Christ and the fellowship of his people? Endorsement of past sin. There is hope and cleansing and help. The perfect woman named Norma McCorvey. You may not know who Norma McCorvey is. In 1969, Norma McCorvey found herself pregnant on the streets of Texas and could not get an abortion in Texas because of the strong pro-life laws that existed then. She found a lawyer, though, who convinced her to lie and say that she was raped. It went to the Supreme Court in 1972, and on January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court handed down its law that reversed the laws in every state banning abortion. But I want you to hear the rest of the story. In 1989, Norma McCorvey came out and identified herself as being the Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade. She worked for an abortion clinic in Dallas, but from the inside she saw how the abortion industry was all about money, all about bottom line. Pro-life Christians opened an Operation Rescue Center adjacent to the abortion clinic where Norma McCorvey worked. And over the course of time, Christians from the Operation Rescue began talking to Norma and witnessing to her, and she saw in them a lifestyle that was different that she wanted in her own life. And she was eventually led to faith in Jesus by their love and through their witness. Today, Norma McCorvey is working for a pro-life movement, trying to reverse the Roe v. Wade decision that she had once once been a pawn in. And all that to say, no matter what your past, God can forgive and cleanse Norma McCorvey's, and he can forgive and cleanse all who turn to him. And at the same time, we have in our congregation and connected to our church family wonderful parents who have been blessed with the gift of adoption. I specifically mentioned Van and Vonda, Finn. I I seldom go very long without a church family coming up to me and say, listen, you know, we know someone who would love to have a child but cannot. If you know anyone who is thinking maybe of putting their child up for adoption, please let us know because there are always loving pro-life options to abortion. But we Christians say that we believe the Bible And it is our moral guideline for right and wrong. So if that is so, then let's get to Scripture and see what God has to say about life.
My first passage is in the beginning, Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then over in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 8, the psalmist pondering Ron, the God of heaven, says, When I look at thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God made man, some translations say a little less than the angels. This one says a little less than God. And we'll get to that in a minute. Who is man? What is man? Why is he different? What makes man special? Because that involves the sanctity of life. Let's bow together. Father, we come from different walks of life and different opinions and and different moral underpinnings and values and yet we all look to the Bible for guidance and instruction in right and wrong, good and evil. And Father, we know that life is precious because you created it and put your image on it. And we know that you value life, human life, more than any other kind. Help us, Lord, see life as you see it and treasure it accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The most important thing I want you to see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is that God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We are created in the image of God. God created the animal world first. And he looked at it all after five days and said, that is good. And then his crowning pinnacle of creation was man on the sixth day. And he stepped back and he didn't just say, that is good. God placed his image on man and only man, and he said that is very good. Because in man, in distinction to every other creation, God breathed his spirit and placed on him his image. I love being uh, in the hospital when a, a newborn comes into the world, and the mother and father are there, and they are ooing and aahing over that precious child that has just arrived, and they're looking him over from head to toe, and their love has been with that child from the moment they knew they were carrying him, and it deepens each passing day, and they scan that baby, and what do they say? They say, ooh, look, honey, he's got your eyes. 
or he's got your nose, or look at those long toes, they're your toes, and we being with pride when we see marks of ourselves on our children. And that's the way it is with God. He stamped his image on us. He put some of himself into us. And he beams with pride when he looks at us and sees it. And that makes us different from every other living creature on the face of the earth from the moment of conception because his image is stamped upon us. Over in Psalm 8, I want you to envision this writer of this psalm, this Hebrew, looking up into the heavens and asking a profound question that perhaps has passed through all of our minds at some time. God, when I look at the heavens, when I look at the stars and and the planets and and the birds and, and all the plants and the animals in the world, what am I that you care about us? Why do you love us so? In the midst of this mind-boggling expanse of creation and this creator that made everything with just a wave of his hand, what value can any tiny human being possibly have to God? How can I or any of us have any value in relation to all of this majesty and grandeur? And his answer is that he has made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and has crowned us with honor. And glory. The key word here is thou. The Hebrew writer says, Thou hast made us. The value of something depends on its creator. Let me say that again. The value of something depends on its creator. Let me give you an example. Here are two violins. That's what I was thinking of this week. This violin, the first one is made by the Acme Violin Company. And it cost $290. This violin is made by Stradivarius. Its value is $2.9 million. What's the difference? Made of similar materials, put together, same strings, similar bows. The difference between the Acme Violin Company and the Stradivarius is the creator. One is worth more because of the creator. Out of all that God created... He determined that human life should have the greatest value, and so he designed us accordingly. I read somewhere that if you take us apart and separate us into joints and muscle and tendons and chemicals, we're worth about 92 cents. But when God puts us together, we are of inestimable value. Why? Because of who put us together, because of our Creator. Now, I've heard folks argue that you're not really human before you're born. You have to be viable, they say. You have to be able to breathe on your own and live on your own before you're human. Well, let me tell you something. You better not tell that to parents whose babies are over in the NICU unit in the hospital. You better not tell that to someone whose aging parent is on a ventilator right now because they can't breathe on their own. God instills us with human life. From the moment of conception. I heard something in a rotary meeting a few months ago that that really made an impact on me, and I don't think the speaker realized what he was saying. You've got to follow along with me because it's kind of technical, the argument that I concocted in my mind. But the speaker was from an organization called LifeLink. And LifeLink is a is a group that pairs up uh, folks who have donated organs and tissues to those on waiting lists for organ and tissue donations. 
And so they, he went through the screening process. And, and incidentally, I encourage families in the ER who are trying to cope with the unexpected death of a loved one, I encourage them to consider organ donation so that some good can still come from some terrible sadness and tragic loss. But anyway, this gentleman's talking about harvesting organs and and donating them and how that process works. And someone asked the question, when does the medical community determine that life has ended? What's the criteria that doctors use to say that death has occurred and the organ can then be harvested? And he replied, well, we have EKGs and death is determined with the absence of any brain activity by an EKG. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if the absence of brain activity means death, then my question is, doesn't the presence of brain activity indicate life by your definition? Friends, embryologists tell us that that brain activity begins at eight weeks. Now, I believe life begins at conception. But based on their own criteria, by their own definition of death, even the medical community would have to concede that human life exists with the presence of brain activity, which for an unborn child begins at eight weeks. Eight weeks. Every year there is a fundraising banquet for the Pregnancy Care Center here in Tifton. Incidentally, it's just a couple blocks behind our church on the corner of 8th and Central. The sign says, Women's First Choice Medical Center. You need to go by there. You need to be familiar with it. If you know someone who is is pregnant and doesn't know quite what decision to make, you take them by there because they have an ultrasound in there. And when they run that ultrasound and they see that baby within them, uh, they want to carry that child because they see the image of God already stamped on that child. And that's why this display is before you on the Lord's table. It contains 49 baby bottles because last year the Pregnancy Care Center helped 49 women to make the choice for their babies to live. So there are 49 babies who will be celebrating birthdays last year and this year because of our Pregnancy Care Center. And that's why we support it and that's why its work is so important. Incidentally, if you want to take a baby bottle, it's uh, a fundraising effort, and you can put, I've seen children, RAs, our GAs, our Sunday school classes have been putting donations in there for the Pregnancy Care Center because we want to do everything we can to help support the work of, of helping women choose life. You can take a bottle, and we'll replenish it before another service because we want everybody to, to be supportive. But I, I bring up the Pregnancy Care Center because Uh, They have an annual fundraising banquet, and a few years ago, they had a woman by the name of Pam Tebow. Pam Tebow had contracted dysentery, amoebic dysentery, serving as a missionary with her husband in the Philippines from drinking contaminated water. And from that dysentery, she lapsed into a coma, and the doctors were hitting her with strong antibiotics. And then they realized that she was early in pregnancy, and they immediately stopped the antibiotics and they urged Pam Tebow to have an abortion. She refused. She said she and her husband were Christians and they were going to trust God. And about seven and a half months later, her son was born. And they named him Tim. Tim Tebow. And I'd have to say, by all measures, he, uh, 
he seems to be a fairly strong and healthy young man. And the only indication there was any problem at birth at all is that he chose to play for Florida instead of Alabama. <laughs> but other than that, what a testimony to the power of a Christian witness. The psalmist said that God made us a little lower than the angels. Actually, in verse 5 of Psalm 8, thou hast made him a little less. The Hebrew word is Elohim. And we usually translate Elohim as God. Thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim. So I want you to see the created order is not God and then angels and then man a little lower than the angels. Actually, it's God and then man made a little lower than God and then the angels. Angels are never said to be created in the image of God. Only man has this distinction. Think about what that means. Only Man, God values us more highly than the angels, more highly than anything else in all creation. And if that's how God values us, that's how we ought to value each other. I read a a sad story recently about a man in Florida who was arrested for stealing turtle eggs. He was arrested for stealing turtle eggs. His defense was, They brought him to court and they they were going to fine him. His defense was that the eggs were not yet alive. They were not yet life. Guess what? He lost. The courts found him guilty because they held that the eggs represented the potential for life. And they fined him. And I got to wondering why are the courts more protective of turtle eggs than they are of human beings. What is it that turtles have that man does not have? Why do the courts see a turtle egg as representing the potential for life, but an unborn child as not? Are you ready for my crowning argument for how much God values man? It's simply this. God sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of you and me. Because God values us so highly, why else would he send his son to die for our sins? Red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in his sight. And because God sent Jesus to die for us so that we might have a relationship with us, C.S. Lewis said because of that, there is never again any such thing as a mere mortal. We are all created in the image of God. Every life is sacred at every point along the human timeline from conception to death. So from abortion to euthanasia, if you believe the Bible and what it says about life, then what it says about taking life is morally wrong. There is no equivocation. There is no gray area about it. Taking life wherever it exists from conception to death. Precluding that, interfering with that, is interfering, usurping the position that only God should hold. I love this story by Max Lucado about a sweater he keeps hanging in his closet. He says he doesn't wear it anymore. It's too short. The sleeves are too small. The shoulders are too tight. Some of the buttons are missing. The thread is frazzled. Logically, he says he should just throw the sweater out since he has no more use for it, and he'll never wear it again, obviously. It's just taking up space in his closet. That's what logic says. But love, he says, won't let him. 
Why not? What's so special about that sweater? It, it has no label. It has no tag with care instructions in it. That's because it wasn't made in a factory. It wasn't produced on an assembly line as the product of some nameless employee earning a living. Rather, that sweater hanging in Lucado's closet is the creation of a devoted mother expressing her love for her son, knitting that sweater by hand. It is unique. It is one of a kind. It is irreplaceable. Every strand was chosen with care, every thread selected with affection. And so even though that sweater has lost all of its use, it has lost none of its value. It is valuable not because of its function, but because of its maker. And so it is with each of us, with each life fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator, each and every strand of our bodies woven together by our creator with love. So even when we're tired and worn out and not of much use to anyone anymore, we're still valuable because of our creator, because of his image that is stamped upon us. He made us a little lower than himself. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. From the moment of conception until that second we breathe no more and he takes us gently home. God has created life and called it sacred and so should we. Let's bow together. God, how thankful and grateful we are for life and for breath and for your image within us. And God, we acknowledge that we aren't wise enough. We cannot see far enough to know the potential you have in store for these six precious children standing before us this morning or for any of us seated here. But you know, we know we, you created us for good, created us to have a future, created us to be in relation to you. So, Father, help us stand up for life and speak up for life and love life and share that love with others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is number... 61, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. I'll be at the front to receive you. If you have a decision to make, God has...